From Relay FM, this is The Pen Addict, episode 360, and today's show is brought to you by Pen Chalet and ExpressVPN. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Brad Dowdy. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine and dandy, my friend. Fine and dandy. Yeah, well, uh, I am fine and dandy, too, as always, on this normally Wednesday recorded podcast highlight of my week and i don't say that lightly i love this show i love what we do Mm -hmm. for the pen addict podcast i just love the pen addict a lot which means i'm very big fan of myself mike we all know that uh i'm Mm. (laughs) just super unhappy with the first two items in our document today like one i don't want to do and the other one i'm just really mad about uh so one I didn't want to do, but we should. And the other one I'm going to force you to do, which is the first one, mm-hmm. because it's a big deal in the stationary world, Mike. And I know you're not a Game of Thrones hater, but you're not a watcher. You're not I'm a not, watcher on the wall. Okay. You've so I'm not interested. Through in eight it. years of this. Yeah. I missed it, right? Like I missed right. it. And then um, it, it, by the time that I was even remotely interested in it, I knew too many spoilers. Because mm-hmm. the internet can't stop themselves from mm-hmm. t- making Game of Thrones into memes, then I knew like a bunch of things that happened in the show, which I would would make it less enjoyable for me to watch it. And then I've seen clips of it and the violence and stuff like mm. that. It's it's just not for me. Like I, yeah. I don't begrudge people that watch it. Adina, like my wife, loves the show, like absolutely mm. loves it. But it's just not my cup of tea. Totally get it. Totally get it. And especially since you didn't catch it in the beginning and we're just like, you know, you were, I think you mentioned it maybe like three or four years into the series was when I first kind of heard you talking about it. It's just mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm beyond that point to go back. I'm not interested in enough to go back and, you know, commit some time to this. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you know, Mike, but it ended this past Sunday. I'm, I'm sure very you know, aware of because that. Because you are a citizen of the internet. So yes, you are, you cannot get away from it whether you like it or not. Are we and about to do scene. some super light spoilers? I'm, I think I have it in my head to where I cannot spoil it. Okay. But I was going to give a tiny spoiler warning, but I'm going to do my best not to. And I think I can okay. get around it. So um, there is maybe one of the best characters in my book uh, of the show, maybe certainly top two or three characters for me, is a knight named Brienne. And she is just this amazingly uh, awesome character. And she's been in the show, I think, since season one, if not season two. She's been around a long time. She's got a huge role in the show. So throughout the whole show, she's just been a great character. So the end of the show, we're going into the last episode. She is you know, essentially back in the the keep of the castle and she is writing notes in a book that essentially tracks the stories of all the famous uh, king's guards, all the protectors of, of the king um, and the monarchy. And she's writing the story of one of them in a book. And as you could guess, this story has been written with a feather quill pen and a bottle of ink and she's doing a really nice job you know it's a big huge beautiful book it's like a thousand page book you know it's like one of those things you close and it's like 10 stories tall so she's doing her writing and she's writing about um this person and you can see how heavy the ink's going on the page like the shots get in like really close and you can see the details of the letter and it's like you know a 16th of an inch thickness of wet ink on the page and then she goes 
and shuts the book. Mm-hmm. And I about had a cow right then and there. My Twitter feed blew up all that night, all the next day. It was like, it was the no heard around the stationary world. I don't know what what failure did Brienne just have right there for a character that is so well done. Um, we can we can just uh, chalk it up as a um, as an effect of the writing this last season, which is a whole thing, and that's kind of like you know, kind of how a good metaphor for how they ended the show is closing the book while the ink is still dry, but. I just wanted to bring this up because so many people brought this up to me. There's articles written on the internet, Mike, which I shared just about this scene. That's how big of a deal it was. Um, Regardless of anything that went on in the rest of that episode, this was the most important for us here at the Panatic, Mike, and we needed to cover it. I mean, this is what we do. This is the news we needed to cover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I will let you off the hook on that one. And begrudgingly, Talk about the next one. I'm so mad. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about your feelings because I'm not as mad as you. And I think that came out in this. I did not want to talk about this, but I felt if we didn't, we're going to have to answer the questions anyway. So we might as well cut to the chase. So our lovely Ask TPA from our friend Ralph last week um, about the writing on the the hamburger paper um, was amazing. And... You know, I obviously enjoyed it. We said it's the question of the year. And after the show ended last week in the chat room, like literally within a minute, one of our friends said, I think you got trolled. And I don't know why it didn't cross my mind, as weird as that email and question was, to look into it before I chose to read it, read it. But I enjoyed it so much. It was really well written, well done, and it was funny. But one look at the originating email probably would have given me the answers that I needed. Um, But I didn't. I enjoyed the story. I felt like sharing it. And I'm okay that we did. The person who wrote it, we asked them for a shot of the inkwell, which (laughs) they actually listened and provided. Mike, I don't know if you want to share that in the show notes. You may not. And I'm good with either decision. I'll leave that in your hands. Mm -hmm. Because as they always say... Don't feed the trolls, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. But I didn't feel there was much malice in this, right? And I'm not upset about it. You know, it took me maybe five minutes to go, oh, like, I think he got us good here uh, based on what I could figure out um, in just my very minuscule amount of Google Foo. Um, and then he sent me an email. I replied back to him in his real name saying, Haha, you got us. You did a really good job. You're a good writer. Um, and he basically replied, Haha, thanks. You know, that was fun. So, yeah, confirmed. Troll job. A little bit sad about it, but not really. It was a fun story. I will continue this story. This, con- this story will be c- continue to be a memeable part of this show. And I, I think it's part of the lore now. And uh, maybe we can get Brienne to write it in a wet nib and slam the book down on it. I don't want this to become a thing, everyone. It kind of can't. Right? Yeah. And we're going to get this later. We have an Ask TPA that I would immediately had a red flag on, but in a fun kind of way, right? We're a fun show. We don't, we're not out there ticking people off to where there's like, there's like a love hate of the pen addict, right? There's not, there's not factions of the pen addict, right? Where, 
a subset of listeners would you know go out of their way to necessarily attack the show mm-hmm. um, they they would just not listen right yeah. <laughs> who's going to go through an hour of this nonsense you either listen to us or you've never heard of us uh-huh. um so this person is actually a creative science fiction writer so like everything that they did was really well done so that's and why i they got don't us think so it's good. that's why they got us this person's a writer and i th- i mean they got us and i'm willing to admit hey i got gotten and yeah, I'm okay we, with we it. We got got, and like I like tip my hat. You got us, but like I yep. just that's not everyone writing their most elaborate uh, <laughs> phrases. Well, now and, you're well, now you're warned, right? Yeah. I mean, and I will do a little bit better job digging a little bit deeper ahead of time. You know, okay. you know, once it happens once, then you're you're on high alert now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's something that's going to happen very often. But mm-hmm. I I can't wait to get to this question we have at the ask tpa at the end of the show it's gonna be fun all right we got the two verboten topics out of the way mike let's talk about something fun now something unexpected i think totally unexpected and i want to know first have you ever used a lamy safari ballpoint pen under no circumstance i have like not for any reason other than why would i have thought to do that you know well because it's kind of wild and Mm -hmm. Some would say ugly, and I couldn't disagree with that. And why would you ever choose this pen when you have other choices? And I wasn't planning on choosing this pen either. So I did a review on Monday of the Lamy Safari uh, ballpoint pen, and I did it because I didn't expect that I would like it. When the Lamy Safari Pastel series came out in the U.S. like a few weeks ago, I knew that I'd be getting the fountain pen to review. Mm-hmm for the blog and I always said I wanted the mint green one. Um I forget the exact name of it. A uh, mint glaze, mint glaze. So I ordered the mint glaze from Jet Pens and then I still like the other colors and the this whole series comes in a fountain pen, ballpoint, rollerball and there's three colors. So I said, "Well, why not order one of each style in a different color for each one and then I'll send them out to everyone." That writes for the pen to review. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah, Brad, you're a super smart guy. That's a great idea. So close. So I got the yeah, I got them in and I open up the package, assuming that I'm keeping the fountain pen and I'll I'll parcel out the ballpoint and roll the ball to someone else to review. And I started doing this. I was like, huh, that feels pretty good. This is a weird pen, but it looks kind of cool. It's like, yeah, you know, I wonder who who should I choose to send this to review? And then I started writing with it. I was like, huh, that writes really smooth for a ballpoint. I don't understand how this is happening. Why does it write so smooth? And I just started looking at it more and using it more. And out of the three pens that I picked up, this is the only one that I wanted to use. And it's probably because I've got a bunch of other safaris, right? I know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to the ballpoint or the rollerball. So this one interested me more than the other two models. And I started using it and writing it. And I was like, this is a legitimately good pen. Like you may not like the style or the aesthetic. And honestly, that's what kept me from it from so long. It is a, even for Lamy, it's a weird looking pen. Yeah, it, it, look, it has like a strange look of like, oh, so you took a Safari and just added some parts to it. <laughs> Which that's not a pen that needs added parts, right? It's already it's it's enough <laughs> it's already. Got a lot going on as it is, <laughs> but it still has that same feel and vibe to it, right? That's what Lamy does well. 
when they have like a product, like an historical product, like the Safari lineup, it's that way because they've made it really well and they continue to make it well. And people who make those purchases, you know, get those pens in their hands and they say, oh, this is a really good pen. I felt like I got, I made a good purchase. I feel like my value and my money was warranted on this purchase. That's what Lamy does really well, especially at the lower price points. So I don't know. I just kind of fell for it. And I think it was probably a lot of it was the color of the barrel. I think it's a really neat color, the blue macaron. And the ends of the pen are a little bit alternate colors because they're different materials. Like, you know, the barrel's plastic, but the knot. I, I like it, I, I don't, that they they purposefully change the shade because you could mm-hmm. try and color match it, but you never get it right. So right. changing it to like the ends, like the rubber parts to be a darker shade of blue, I think is much more attractive. Yeah, they tried to take it not like the next adjacent color. They went like, you know, five color shades away to make it stand out a little more. And it, mm-hmm. they pulled it off. Like, I think it looks fantastic. Yeah, it's like taking a floor and turning it into a thing, right? Like, right. It's, it's It actually makes it better looking. Right, right. So the refill is called the M16. It's it's pretty much a Lamy proprietary refill, but Monteverde makes a copy of it as they do for a lot of pens. So you can get other refills in lots of different colors and a few different tip sizes. So this is a pen I should not like. And over all my years of writing The Pen Addict and all my years of loving pens before writing The Pure Pen Addict, I was never interested in number one buying or number two using a Lamy Safari ballpoint. And I, I just have to say I've been missing out. Like I don't need five of these, right? Like I'm good with this one. I might buy one other one, you know, if I see another cool color down the line or like they do this in the Vista barrel, that's clear. Um, I think from time to time, I think I've seen that in the past, you know, if they do another color and then I'll have, you know, a different set of refills to play in, you know, like, I'll maybe have two of these, but I'm using this pen today. I've been using it a bunch. Um, it carries really well, right? It's strong. It's durable. Yeah. You can beat it around, carry it in a pocket, throw it in a bag. You're not going to be sad. You know, if something happens to it, it was like a $16 pen. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's hey, by no a means price, a cheap pen, know? but that's a fair price. Yeah. Like for what this is, it's really good. So I don't know. This one caught me off guard. Like I, it was one of those pens that I was like, okay, it's a pen that exists and you know, I may never use one ever. And then I got it in my hand and I was like, wow, this kind of clicks with me. And um, I, I like it. So I, I don't know that like there's not much story to it. But other than, you know, I figured another thing, you know, part of doing yeah. this is figuring out things that I never thought I would like that turn out to be really fun and good and quality pens. And this is one of those in that long list. So I, my typical problem with this type of thing is like, I agree with you. I agree with that sentiment, like the Caveco student which was a pen right. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It's like a similar vein for me. Like, there's not really any reason I thought I would like that pen, but I do. I, I really like it. But yep. what I would say, though, on this point is like, so for a pen like this one, like this Lamy, my problem is, is I know I, I would never have a need for it. Like, I could like well, it, right. but with the pens that I use, I don't know when it would ever get used. That would be right. my problem. And that's the biggest issue I find with rollerballs. Because how are you going to tell me that I'm going to use this pen more than any Jetstream or any Pilot Acroball? You know, it, oh, because it is inferior. That, that you're moving up to a fountain pen, right? Like that, you know, right? You, you, why would you use this pen when it's not necessarily your favorite rollerball, and when you'd use rollerballs less than fountain? You know what I mean? It's just like I, I right. don't know where 
I would have a place for it in my life. Right. Where I do, in that I do use rollerballs, gel pens, and ballpoints way more than fountain pens, I would say. Just in, in totality, those three types of pens more than more than fountain pens. So I have room for when the refill is close, like if a jet stream just say arbitrarily is a 10 out of 10 and this refills like an eight or nine out of 10. Well, it's close enough in writing quality that I can enjoy the look, style and feel and you know durability of the barrel of the Safari, which makes it a pen I want to use at that point. Right. That makes sense. I get that. It's good stuff. Very, very much enjoy the Lamy Safari Boy ballpoint. And I bet you can tell me, Mike, where I can buy a Lamy Safari ballpoint in the future if I'm interested. Our friends over at Pen Chalet. Because Pen yeah. Chalet, they have everything you're looking for. They have all of your favorite brands at fantastic prices. Whether you are looking to pick up a Lamy or you want a Sailor Kaveco, a Pilot, Namiki, no matter what it is you're looking for, they're an authorized dealer of all of them. They're super fast and reliable customer service. They run special discounts twice a month, including closeout specials every single two weeks. So they're always adding new styles of pens, and they're always doing wonderful deals on them. Uh, Pen Chalet ship internationally with great shipping rates, but they do free shipping on orders of over $50 in the United States. Pen Chalet has low prices on high-quality pens, and they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Now, you can go get yourself some special deals, but you can also get yourself a discount. So if you do want to go and buy that Lamy uh, ballpoint, if you want to go and grab one of those for yourself, you can get 10% off at any time at Pen Chalet. Go to penchalet.com, P-E-N-C-H-A-L-E-T.com. There's a link at the top of the website that says podcast. You type you just tap that. You type in the password penaddict, which is a special sh- uh, password for this show, penaddict or one word, and you will get your hands on the 10% code that you need to save anything at Penchalet, as well as some of the special offers that we have this week. And Brad, what do we have queued up? That would be awesome if I could tell you as soon as I type in this amazing code. <laughs> so let's see all together. Everybody now, we have, okay, we have all kinds of stuff from Monteverde, all kinds of stuff from Lamy. And a pretty cool Caveco. So let me scroll back up here to the top. So uh, Monteverde Rodeo Drive, which I've never seen this pen before. It looks kind of cool. Um, very cool price for the Monteverde. The Lamy Studio Fountain Pen, which I'm a fan of. Um, and we'll be having uh, a, a good look at those coming up soon on the Pen Attic blog. I like their special edition colors, which I'm surprised are on sale. Um, which... That's kind of Ron thing. Ron's thing. That's his middle name. His name is Ron. I'm surprised it's on sale at penjale.com. And then the uh, the Caveco AL Sport, the all black one, which I do not own, um, and I I won't own. I probably I don't need this pen. But dang, that's a good price. So yeah, as always, Ron comes through with some pretty amazing prices. So you can go check this out for yourself right now by going to penchalet.com, clicking the podcast link at the top of the website and entering the password penaddict. Our thanks to Penchalet for the continued support of this show and Relay FM. If you're a Lamy Studio fan and like these special edition colors that they do, I think they just do those once a year, maybe twice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is very well-priced for recent editions. We'll, we'll right. leave it at there. All right, so... One of the things that I've been saying, I'd say in this this year, this calendar year, and been parroting some others and passing this information through the community, is that Kaveco uses Yovo nibs now. 
So that's been kind of a phrase I've been I've been on. You know, you hear that information, the information gets passed along. You, yep. know, you hear that from vendors, retailers, people who buy things. And then I got a tweet earlier this week from one of my friends, and she said, "Hey, I'm seeing that I got this information from like Kaveco customer support when I was asking about the nib manufacturer." And can I, we just can we just for a second just take a step back and um, just contextualize for people that might not be aware why this would even be an issue? Yeah, this is why you're a professional podcaster, Mike. Thank you. Typically. So, Kaveco has historically been known for using Bach nibs. So, there's two main kind of stock or the two premier generic nib manufacturers for for companies that make pens who do not make their own nibs are Bach and Yovo. And, you know, they're both good quality nibs. A lot of people prefer certain nibs, one nib brand over the other. I pre- personally always, you know, profess my love for Yovo. So, you know, and they've all had, you know, different reasons that different people love or dislike these various brands. And it is worth saying that Kaveco, their nibs, no matter who's made them, so far right uh, have always been priced not really so okay. that's the thing so there Maybe was a span there in the past five years where the baby's bottom issue which is where there's a little bit oh, extra okay. tipping it's not yep. polished enough in their like their fine medium and broad nibs had problems skipping so Kaveco nib qc was not good and people would have to fight to find their good ones. Like I've always preached with Kaveco in the past is when you find a good nib, use that nib on any of your other Kaveco pens, just pass it around. Right. So that's always been my philosophy because they were very inconsistent. So in the past year ish, I'm guessing they've had to increase their manufacturing capacity. So Kaveco is doing well as a business. They're growing. And even just their Bach nibs manufacturing was not, well, they were not able to keep up. So I guess the word got around somehow. I don't know if it was like the Kaveco distributors were passing on this information um, because I know a lot of retailers told this to me that they were using Yovo nibs now. And while that's technically true, what the end game is here and that I'll explain and elaborate on is that Bach and Yovo are both making a Kaveco nib. So what I found out after Michelle asked me this question, I said, well, let me email him. So I talked to Michael Gutboulet for a little bit through email. Little bit of translation issues, but I went back and forth with him a little bit, trying Such to... Such a beautiful name. Oh, <laughs> it is. And just for, for the record, Michael is the son of the Kaveco president, the current yeah. Kaveco president. Um. So, yeah, he would know. So I emailed him, and he was super nice and got right back to me and said, here's the deal. And after it, it, this actually, it took a few ma- emails for me to get clarification and or clarity on what he was telling me. Kaveco provides the tooling to Bach and Yovo to use to manufacture Kaveco's nibs. Mm-hmm. The end result is then manufactured by both of those companies, shipped back, back to Kaveco, yep. and then applied to their pens. 
But is it known, like, is there a, do they make specific nibs, specific pens, or are they just, like, making them? Do you know that? For Kaveco? Like, yeah, are you like, saying, do they only make the Sport, well, or do well, they make yeah, all of Kaveco's What you're nibs? saying is they use two companies to make their nibs, right? Yes. Are these companies making the nibs for specific pens, or are they just making the nibs, and then Kaveco just do whatever with them? Yes, they're the second part. They are just right. making the nibs, right. because the nibs are then returned to Kaveco, and they are all pooled. Okay? So you will never know company of origin origin for your nib because the theory and obviously Kaveco believes this is if we provide you the tooling and the dyes and this includes the feed too this Mm -hmm. is not just the nib this is Kaveco's tooling for nibs and feeds outsourced to two companies who build around that tooling and ship a product back to me that was my understanding of how this works and that's how he explained it to me and so they're essentially getting a Kaveco nib made by outsourcers. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the companies doesn't matter. Obviously, we want to know that they're getting made by a good company, either Bach or Yovo. But the style and shape of the nib are all Kaveco. And there's no way to tell to parse the difference because not even Kaveco would know because they're all Kaveco parts. It's all the same part number, right? But two companies are making part number eight. And then they are shipped back to the company and part number eight is in a bin. And then part number eight is grabbed and made Mm -hmm. for that product. So that's the way it works. So I can't say Kaveco uses Yovo nibs now. Or I can't say Kaveco uses Bach nibs and always has. Um, Because they the reasoning behind it was they couldn't keep up. They couldn't get enough nibs. So now... They asked two I companies to make their nibs. I think that's fantastic yeah. news for them. I mean, it's not without questions, right? You know, from a consumer perspective, in the end, it only matters to like obsessives like us. Big picture, it doesn't matter if yeah. the quality holds. And right is, now, I feel like I the quality is holding. I don't think it matters at all. I, yeah. It, it's like because I understand that we care, but it's like, do you think about. What factory in China made your iPhone? Right. Do you care? Yeah, no. Like, really? Like, ultimately, do you care if it came from Foxconn or Pegatron? Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Like, this is how manufacturing is is done, right? Like, Mm -hmm. especially at the case of, like, they are uh, providing the tooling. If Mm -hmm. they're providing the tooling, then it shouldn't make a difference as long as the quality control is there. You can't... I don't think that it's fair to be, like... The nibs that Bach make that are Bach nibs or the nibs that Joa make that are Joa nibs are bad. So therefore, a company must produce only bad products. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Like what it might mean is the design of the Bach nib or the design of the Joa nib cannot support what they're trying to produce. If mm-hmm. the tooling is correct enough that Kaveco have given them, and as long as Kaveco are quality controlling against that, then mm-hmm. it shouldn't ma- matter who makes it. Right. So in the end, Kaveco uses Kaveco nibs. Yeah. Right? This is exactly. a Kaveco nib. And I've always said they're either brand X or brand Y, when in reality now, it's neither. So again, like I will go back and we'll talk about uh, processes. So like mm-hmm. I know all this stuff from, it's easier for me to talk about these things with technology, right? 
the the processors that go into iPhones are Apple's processors. Apple designed mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. They have they they completely architectured themselves, but they don't make them. They get like Taiwan Semiconductor to fabricate the chips for them. But they're not Taiwan Semiconductor's chips. They didn't design them. But it's right. just because Apple don't yet own their own factory. Like This is just how large-scale manufacturing is done. It's like, for example, your cases. Mm-hmm. You and Jeff don't make them anymore. Right. You have another company make them. And I bet that company makes things of vastly different quality. Right. But you make different decisions because you're like, no, it's going to be made this way with these specifications. And then we check against it. Like, right. I just think that the idea of like, oh, I don't like Bok nibs, so therefore the Caveco Bok nibs are inherently bad, doesn't, it just doesn't hold up if you know enough about manufacture. I mean, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I'll disagree with you some there because you can get a Bok nib, that, take Caveco out of the picture. Mm-hmm. If I have a Bok stamped nib and a Yovo stamped nib, that I know came from these manufacturers directly. And my Yovo nibs are consistently good, and my Bach nibs are a coin flip on QC on a good day. That's ingrained in my head now, right? So I feel justified in questioning that. Right, but I think what I'm saying is just don't worry about it that much. I am saying that for Caveco. Yeah, yes. th- that's what I mean. Yeah, like in, uh, I I think I may have misinterpreted what I was saying. Like, if you know that Joa nibs are bad, and you're using Joa, and you're using Joa made nibs that other companies use, like, then don't use them, right? <laughs> yeah. Because what, like, you know, like, say for example, you know, all of our favorite companies that that make pens themselves, right? Like, all of the wonderful people that have their own small businesses or whatever. They're they're choosing one of these companies and then using their nibs because they just they they don't they're not at the scale where they can make the nibs themselves, right? right. Well, then you can question that then I think because then you're using a like brand X, you know, Joe or Nib, right? This is what they make for other right. people and it's their design, their tooling. You can one hundred percent question that, but I think if we know that Caveco are providing all of the uh, information, the tools and the specifications for how they're mm-hmm. to be made, then you've got to just judge on what Caveco create rather than what the effectively just the machines are making. Just the machines right. live in Joe's factory, not in Caveco's or whatever. Right. And I, I agree with this. And I actually, the end result, I believe, is positive for Caveco because now I just judge them. Is this nib good or bad that, mm-hmm. that Caveco provided? And... I have to say, in the past year, we've had a lot less uh, Caveco terrible nib stories, right? There used to be people would swear off that brand because they could not get a good nib to save their life. And that they've changed the, they've changed the narrative um, by branching out and making this decision and having, you know, maybe a better QC and a better accurate process with the tooling, like what you were talking about, to where they can actually get two companies to make the exact same nib for them and have the exact same nib be good. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's a good thing for them because, uh, you know, while we're talking about the nibs now in the big picture, we don't talk about Caveco nibs anymore when that used to be the story all the time. So I yep. think they've done a good job with this. So. 
that's what I got from them. So I will no longer say Kaveco is now using Yovo nibs. Kaveco uses Kaveco nibs. So there you go. Speaking of processes and manufacturing, Michael. <laughs> yeah. You had a busy weekend, huh? I had a busy weekend, uh, a good weekend. We have the spoke pen project is rolling. We have parts. We have all of the parts. Um, and not all of the parts are good. So mm. let's talk about this. I'm it's, sorry. it's okay. I'm sorry. It, I was so sad to read that uh, Kickstarter update. I, I won't say neither of us blinked. I mean, we're obviously not happy with it, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Anodization is a tricky subject. So we'll get into that. But let's start from the beginning a little bit. Brian got all the parts in from, um, you know, China was a lot of our parts. And then he picked up uh, some of the parts in South Carolina on the way down. So we have parts from everywhere. Each pen has 10 parts. So we had well over 10,000 parts for all the pens that we need to make uh, laying around. So we had to sort and organize and unpack and, you know, get all these pens ready to actually be manufactured, assembled, not manufactured, assembled, put together, QC'd, packaged, shipped, all that stuff. And with all the colors that we have for this project and the metal anodization we're doing on aluminum barrels, there was bound to be some color issues crop up. And we've always said, I've always said on this podcast before this project, and we even said in the beginning of this project, orange is really hard to anodize. And the orange caps and barrels did not match well enough to be sold as a unit, right? You can tell a difference. And then the blue fell in the same category. So before, I mean, like last week, we had already reordered those parts with an emphasis on getting them right this time as far as color matching goes and or you're not getting paid kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's just... We didn't want this to happen, but there was an expectation that we might have to work a little bit to get those two colors right. And you know what? It's playing out a little bit that way. But the big picture is that the manufacturing and the quality is like super good. Out of all those parts, um, when we were going through them and inspecting them, we had like a little like eight ounce cup that had like five parts in it that we'd rejected out of like all these thousands and thousands of parts. You know, we might see more as we go through building these pins because it's a staged process. That's the thing that me and Brian had to get together with and understand the scope of each stage and each phase of building these pins because that's how we set up this project to be, right? You know, this is not a metal tube that we're slapping a refill in. This is eventually going to be a very customizable style of pin. So we had to do it in the way we did it now to you know, hopefully build this into something later down the line. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of it. Like we got a good start. We were ahead of the game. Then we got kind of, we both, we both kind of felt, felt kind of bummed. Like come Sunday night, I was like, man, you know, I hate that we're not going to be able to give backer number one, their pen first. Right. Like that's always the goal. It's like, we wanted to say, we're going to go right down on order. We're going to have all the pens and we're going to start shipping them. We're going to build them you know, build batches of pens and then ship them out in orders. But we have, I don't know the exact numbers. Let's just guesstimate 75%, you know, good parts and 25% not so good parts that have to be redone. So some orders are going to ship this week, which is good. That's like super positive. Some orders are going to be held a little bit longer because we're doing these barrels over again. Yeah. Just like to mine, make, I think, right? Cause I, I got orange crush. 
yeah, if you got uh, orange or blue barrels, we still might can ship them in June, which is what we're shooting for. So we're yeah. still not technically behind yet, but I mean, we're going to be close. We're probably going to end up being into July on those, which is still pretty darn good. We're the the more we took a step back, the more we realized that we're in really good shape. We're really happy yeah. with the outcome of the pen. Like when we build the pens, we're like, yeah, buddy, this pen's great. So there's nothing wrong with know, the parts. It's the color. And yes, you just don't want to ship it when it's wrong. It's like it's actually what we were talking about with the Lamy thing, right? It's like they, they decided to just make it not try and look too similar because if you try and make yeah. it look similar, you can get it wrong. And that's what's happened for you guys. It's like these are different. These are parts that are being anodized separately. So right. Then, right. it's going to be difficult to, to match it up. It is not impossible and it will, be, it will get done, but it, right. it is a more tricky process. Yeah. And it's okay for us because the products we're not shipping now are also not waste. They're, they go into parts for other pins we can make down the line you know when we're mixing and matching colors so much you know the unit as a whole because there's nothing wrong with the specific coloring no just the coloring doesn't match the cap or whatever right just the the lami safari yeah like the lami safari ballpoint's a good example like that's a extreme like our colors aren't that far off but you can tell there's two different like there's an abs blue then there's like a rubber blue in these pins and they don't match but that doesn't preclude us from using orange barrels with black caps in the future, whatever mm-hmm. that color is. You know, we already decided probably lime caps would look pretty cool on these orange barrels, right? That's part of our business model, right? We're not selling a singular pen style that has to be consistent all the time. We're selling a huge wide range of pen styles. Therefore, we don't have to eat the pens. We have to eat the inventory carrying costs for the next four or five months to we're able to do something with them once we get this project over with right mm-hmm. but they're not going into the scrap heap they're good products so you know that gets us that made us feel a little bit better it's like you know these are not bad products we just can't use them today you know yeah it sucks that we have to hold these products um you know and maybe delay you know, the people getting the project, the the pin when other people are getting, you know, the red pins shipping out or whatever, and they don't have their orange pin, you know, you always hate that. But, you know, as long as we, both Brian and I, like, I don't think we'd, we wouldn't be working together if we both didn't believe in that, in being transparent about how things work. And sometimes it's not what you want to hear, but that's, that's the option. This is what, we, this is what we have. We're not going to make it up as we go along. And people understand that. So, you know, we hate it. It's one of those things, but big picture, it's not very much delayed because we had already decided on our own to just reorder this stuff, you know, a week or so ago. So we're getting there. Um, I have a question for you, actually, because mm-hmm, I've, mm-hmm. I've always wanted this. So in this instance, right, you've gone back to the uh, manufacturer, the anodizer or whatever, and you mm-hmm. said, these are not acceptable. We need you mm-hmm. to make more of them. Mm-hmm. Do you pay for them? So... We will pay a portion. So, okay, first round, we'll pay for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, because you ordered those. Paid for You're the products. For those, we ordered yeah. them. Now we're able to go back saying, these are not right. We need it to be better, even though it's still going to cost us. We're not going to give you all the money until we see the final result. So they're going to have to get it right this time before they get paid, essentially. So you will, you're paying over again. Yes. By the time 
they give us good parts will have will have paid for twice as many orange barrels and twice as many blue barrels. I think that's what you're asking me. Yeah, so like the orange, so you've already bought all the orange and you've asked them to make it again and you're going to pay them the full price again for all the rest of the orange barrels. At some point, yes. So so interesting to me because it just feels like, where's the money coming from? (laughs) Trust me, (laughs) we have those conversations. I mean, it just eats, I mean, it eats into the profits. I mean, that's the Kickstarter part of this, right? We get all the money up front and we do our best to make sure we're covered for crap hitting the fan, you know? Huh. And this is the difference between just doing it and doing it and being uh, uh, good about right? Like, you know what you're doing. Right. That's the difference, right? You've right. been, a, this is not your first rodeo. Right. Huh. So, you know. Well, I mean, you plan. You don't necessarily plan for mistakes, right? You plan for waste and, you know, errors, you know, minimal, you know, type of scrap type stuff. You don't plan f- necessarily like in a line item for full redos, but you also accept the risk going into it that that might be a possibility and you might be out of pocket more to get the things right on the front end. But you have to get things right on the front end or else you're not a very good person <laughs> right well, i mean you don't i mean the, the thing is you could ship these pens with how they are like you 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 really could do that it's ill-advised but you could and then i don't sleep at night and my reputation's ruined right right but it doesn't you're only shipping those pens if you don't care about those things exactly exactly so we do care uh both brian and i care very much and like this isn't that big of a negative it's just it's more of a that stinks kind of thing instead of it's instead of an oh we're screwed thing right yeah it's not game over because you've had to make some more barrels right yeah nor and and i'll tell you what if we did a project if i was ever involved in a project where i got the parts in and they were not to my liking and it was game over i just need to stop like I need to never show my face again, right? Because this is not how I believe in operating. Mm. Okay. Right? You do you go into this product, project, any project that I go into, I go in to make the customer happy. That's the goal. Everything right, else is secondary. Are they happier with a less than good product or no product? Like if you if you'd say that like if it was not right and you'd have to like just cancel it well isn't it worse to have nothing oh yeah but like i don't, i mean canceling is not an option right mm. mm-hmm. that's the way i look at it <laughs> i don't go into something where canceling is ever an option sure. sure well i'm sorry that you're having some struggles but uh luckily it isn't too bad we're actually we had you know we had about an hour where we were kind of bummed you know, like, you know, kicking the dirt. And, you know, it's like, oh, man, this stinks. But the more we thought about it and the more happy we were with what we did have and what those results were and how the pins came out, you know, when we assembled them, we we're like, man, this is a good pin. So we'll make the rest of this work. So we're super happy. Can't wait to get mine. Yep. 
Today's episode is also brought to you by ExpressVPN. Sometimes cybercrime seems like something from the movies, like it's hard to imagine someone wanting to get your information. But stealing data using public Wi-Fi is an easy way for bad guys to make money, and it happens to normal people like me, people like you. If you leave your internet connection unencrypted, your passwords and credit card numbers could be vulnerable. But there's something that you can do to protect yourself from this. You can start using ExpressVPN. Not tomorrow, or sometime next week. Get it today. ExpressVPN works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing, encrypting your data, hiding your public IP address with easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your device. You turn on the ExpressVPN protection with just a click, and you're free to safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. One of the things that I love about ExpressVPN when I use it is when I turn it on, I don't feel like my connection is being super slowed down. Like I can continue working as normal with no no problems and that's not what i've found in using some other products in the past like this so it's one of the reasons that i do really really genuinely love expressvpn for less than seven dollars a month you can get the same protection with expressvpn that i have if you ever use public wi-fi and want to keep the bad guys away from your data you need expressvpn just go to expressvpn.com penaddict where you can learn more and protect your online activity today find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com penaddict that is expressvpn.com com slash penaddict for three months free with a one-year package our thanks to expressvpn for their support of this show and relay fm and we move into hashtag ask tpa and we hope that these are all real questions and we will start from f nordstrom what are your thoughts about the sale of sapporo i haven't heard much about it so I mean, this is a troll right uh, so this is what i thought Brad. <laughs> Right? No, like, no, heck, okay, okay, okay. So I thought this, right? It's, I don't think it is, but yes. <laughs> totally. Now we're looking at this differently. Because I saw this and I was like, uh-uh. And so I Googled it. I just Googled <laughs> Sailor Sapporo because I know we talk about the Sapporo Mini, right? And yep. the Sailor Sapporo is another name for the Pro Gear Slim. Right. So what I thought was could have actually been the question here is we actually don't really talk about the slim so much. I, in my mind, I think both of us, or at least I don't, I know I do. I kind of lump the Pro Gear and the Pro Gear Slim together. Um, I I don't. And, I do. Um, I definitely because do. I recommend people don't buy the slim unless the, for unless they have certain criteria. But anyway, I like the slims a lot. I have a bunch of them. Um, I do too. I have a bunch of them. I prefer the standard size Pro Gear, but I like the Slim. Uh, but yeah, the Slim is also called the Sapporo, um, and I think it's still a really great option. I think that uh, if you are buying a Pro Gear for the first time, if you have the ability to uh, hold both the Slim, the Sapporo, and the regular Pro Gear, it would be great so you can make your decision You know, in the same yeah. way with the 1911s. Do you want standard or large, right? Like The differences aren't massive, but they are noticeable, and if you have the ability to be able to see them and hold them in person, you should be able to. You should try to be able to do that. Yeah, I laughed really hard when when Fred tweeted this question because my confused. thought immediately went yeah. to he's following up on our troll question, like, "Hey, have you ever heard of this little boutique brand called Sailor? You know, LOL, yep. right?" But I don't think he is because. The, the way they marketed as the Sapporo is very strange, right? It, Especially because we do talk about the Sapporo Mini, but we never talk mm-hmm. about the, the regular Sapporo. Right, right. because but, we just call it the Slim. Because it's weird to call it its own thing when it's not. It's just a smaller... Ver- like, the, the, the 1911 Standard and Large are not two different products. Mm-hmm. But the Pro Gear 
and Pro Gear Slim are two different products. It's weird. It's weird. Mm, yeah, see. You know what I mean? But like, they don't have a name yeah, for the standard right. and large 1911s. <laughs> they do. Right? Do yeah, they? One of them's called, yeah, one of them's called regular or large. One, either one. That's why it's, it's confusing. No, no, no. But what I mean is, yeah, but regular and large is fine. But I'm, that, it's not called Sapporo, right? Like where it's like, well, that sounds yes. like a different pen at this point. Right. Nor is it consistent between the product lineup. Mm-hmm. The Pro Gear has its own naming conventions yep. and the 1911s have their own naming conventions, even though sailors trying to accomplish the same things by having the smaller, thinner 14K nib entry leveler one be one style and one name, one product name, and then the little bit bigger 21K nib model being the standard, except when it's large. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. this is Sailor's naming conventions confusing things. And so the short version, if I don't know that we've even given Fred a a clear answer, this is the Pro Gear Slim. Anytime we talk about Pro Gear, the Pro Gear lineup, the Pro Gear Slim is equivalent to the Sapporo, like one and the same. In, in this case, for all intents and purposes. So, we and we very much enjoy this pen. It's a great pen. 24 Hours 100 Miles says, I'm considering a Charbo X, but I have zero need for a pencil. Is there a similar cool multi-pen? This is a Zebra Charbo X, by the way. Yes. Um, is there a similar cool multi-pen that doesn't take up one spot with a pencil and can use good gel refills? This is such a pain in the butt with the Charbo. For as great a pen as it is, you are stuck with a mechanical pencil refill. And while I love mechanical pencil refills, I don't want them in my multi-pens. I want all pen slots for my pens. So equivalent to the level of the Sharbo X, you can get the Lamy 2000 multicolor. Um, It's ballpoint, but it takes D1 refills, so you can swap them out to the gel refills, even the Sharbo X gel refills. That's the most comparable. Outside of that, you're going to have to go down to the build-your-own Stuff which is you know the plastic barrel lower price point things like the um, high tech pilot high tech C Kaleto and the Uni style fit, which are both excellent in your own right. It's just kind of a different category from the Sharbo X. The Sharbo X is a very high end multi pen, you know, starting about forty five fifty dollars. That's where the Lamy two thousand multi pen, which is exceptional, comes in. Those are equivalent. Outside of that, I mean, I think there's like some Sailor and Platinum stuff you can get from Japan that. I don't even know if they have fixed pencil sleeves on the inside or not, but I just say in general, it's either going with the Charbo, looking at the Lamy 2000, or dropping all the way down to the Pilot High Tech Kalito and the Uni Style Fit, which are very, very good pens, and you can choose to not have a pencil option in those. But that's a good question because that's always been a frustration point with the Charbo X for me. Evan Max asks, I hear people talking about pen show auctions, but I've never been to a pen show that has one. What are they like? Is it just rare and expensive multi-hundred dollar pens going to the highest bidder? Or is there anything there for people with more modest budgets? This is a great question. And I told him this when he replied. And it's a timely question. I feel like this is a question that I have, but I've never asked you. Okay. Um, It's timely because the first and, and most frequent pen auction that I go to is at the Raleigh Pen Show, which is going to happen next week. And the first time I went and sat through an entire auction was there, and I was just fascinated at the spectacle of it. So to answer Evan's direct questions, there's something for everybody at every price point, you know, for the most part. You know, it's going to be mostly vintage. 
I would say you're probably looking at 75% vintage listings in a 100 to 200 unit or 200 lot auction. You're probably looking at 75% vintage. And a portion of that vintage lot will be in need of repair, right? So there's all kinds of different bidder types. There's bidders who only buy the low-end, expensive inexpensive products that I need to fix, right? Because I can get them for a good deal and get them in bulk. A lot of them, a lot of lots will be like, you know, eight Parker vacuumatics, you know, all in various states of disrepair, you know, so there's those types of lots. It's very rarely the super rare pin, right? It's not like your high end auto auction type of thing. You're not, this isn't an event most pen show auctions might have one or two like rare, you know, color of an Esterbrook, right? That may go for several hundreds of dollars, you know, something like that. But you're not getting like whatever ultra rare item you can think of that's going to go for thousands of dollars, you know, type of auction. You know, there's going to be a few rare things sprinkled in. It's going to be mostly mainline vintage stuff. Um, you know, lots of pins and lots of lots that go in the 100 to $300 range, a few that go for less, and then there'll be some modern stuff sprinkled in. Like Raleigh tends to have a decent amount of Pelicans. I remember last year there was probably 10 or 15, you know, really nice Pelican 600s and Pelican 800s, um, you know, in that type of lot. So, you know, it's, um, there are things for people with smaller budgets. There is going to be the issue I think for someone going to a first time auction is you're going to run up against vendors that will steamroll you because a lot of the vendors use the auction to restock their table, right? So they're coming in with a bankroll and just, they're just going to Mm. be an auction bully. Now I'm not saying that as a personal judgment on the person, right? But you understand what I mean being an auction bully, right? If you have the hammer, they have if the hammer is the dollars, if the hammer is the dollars and they have the dollars, you're going to lose every time. That's kind of a negative for someone like me who just may want to pick off one pin that looks really cool, right? But I'm never going to necessarily come away with it because I'm going to get rolled by someone who's filling up their tape, who's planned to spend X amount of their budget to resell this pen, right? So I don't want that to be a turnoff, right? It's really good to go in and see the spectacle of it. I I loved it. I enjoyed it. I've bought a couple things at auction here and there, and it's fun to do, and got some really good deals. But, um, you know, the best thing, the best advice I can give you at any auction is just to not get caught up in the bidding. And that's way easier said than done, but you can get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the adrenaline. Yeah. Yep. Like, so that's, that's it's fun. Get you. It's fun. Like uh, it, it was more enjoyable than I thought it would be yep. going into it. Put it yep. that way. I like, I look, I make sure I have the time to go to it if I can, because mm-hmm. it's good. All right. Uh, Jacob Sabona asks, do you know of a service where I can send notebooks out to have them scanned and digitized? I don't know for a fact. I've never done this, so I can't speak from experience. But 
my initial thought was you could probably just do a Google search online, find someone maybe even locally that can do it for you, you know, depending on what the outcome you're trying to get is. Do you just want it scanned and digitized or do you want it to be able to, you know, have OCR and searchable data when you're done, you know, what are your options there? So I remember several years ago and we covered it on the podcast, there was, it was called, the notebook was called draft at the time or draft notebooks. I can't remember exactly. Uh, and eventually, yeah. oh, there's stories with this one. <laughs> there are oh, stories. God. We may not get into them, but there's stories. Eventually they changed the name into mod notebooks. And then the people that created drafts changed the name to Mod Notebooks, eventually sold Mod Notebooks. So I don't know who owned Mod Notebooks now, but I do know who started it um, back in the day. Um, so they actually sell the notebook and the service, right? You, when you buy a notebook from them, you're part of their essentially subscription service to return the notebook, have it scanned, digitized, and sent back to you. Not everyone wants to be pigeonholed into that specific notebook. So if you have your own notebook and want to send it off somewhere, I would, the first thing I would do was I would look into like, what can FedEx Kinko's do for me, which is like your chain print store around the country, right? They offer all so many services. Can they take your notebook and scan it digitally? And, you know, is there OCR abilities um, in the output to where your data is searchable? I don't know. That's the, first thing that came to mind is can kinkos do this for me um and then as i was reading through online a bunch of people were talking about uh, a company called one dollar scan i certainly can't vouch for them whatsoever but they seem to have been around for a while and they offer these services like it came up in a bunch of forum topics and i kind of browsed through their offerings there were so many of them i kind of didn't get it like right off the fly but they offer ocr which if that's what your end game is that might be something to look into. So I don't have any personal experience with any of these services. My inclination would be to go to a local shop that I could walk into with my notebook and leave with my notebook when when it's done. Um, and outside of that, I'd be interested to hear if anyone had um, had had done any anything like this before. So if you have any information or experience with any companies that do this, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Definitely reach out. All right, our next question this week comes from uh, Phil Ewing. Uh, what do you do when your beloved Blackwing pencils go down to the stubs, like when you sharpen them all the way to the bottom? Do you have an accessory that you like, or do you just toss them away? Um, if I get all the way down to the stub, I toss them away. Mm -hmm. I rarely get all the way down to the stub because I've usually destroyed them by hacking them at that point. So mm -hmm. my general pencil usage goes kind of like this. So I'll get the new pencil, sharpen it up and I'll use it. When I get about to the halfway point in the pencil, that's my time to either hack it and modify it into my metal shop CT bullet pencil, um, which just uses like a stub end of a pencil and it's got the little parts you kind of got to shave and it's, you got to do a little bit of a manip manipulation to get them in there. So you want a pencil that you can destroy, but you don't need a full length brand new pencil. And the same goes for the newer Faber-Castell perfect pencil. You know, you don't want, it doesn't work well with the full length pencils. So when you get around to a half length pencil, it's good for those. And then when it gets down to unusable, unusable at that point, I just pitch them. People who use more pencils than I do save those stubs and put them in a jar. And it looks really cool. Like I know I've seen some of my, you know, my pencil friends, like, 
you know, less from com- comfortable shoes. And I think Harry Marks and, you know, people who use uh, a lot of, a lot, a lot of pencils, way more than I do, will go through them. Um, they both happen to be writers, which maybe that's the thing. So they'll mm-hmm. use these pencils to write books and, or just journal like incessantly and we'll end up with a stack of stubs. And that's just, then it's just kind of a cool visual accessory say, Hey, you know, I, this bunch of, a uh, bunch of pencils I killed here and I feel pretty good about it. All right. Next up comes from Jeffrey K. Coleman. What fountain pen ink or inks would you recommend for highlighting documents? I hear Noodlers has several, but I've been told in the past to avoid them because it can damage fountain pens. Yeah. I, I don't want to get in the, uh, Noodlers bad discussion because I think that's a little bit unfair. Like I'm, I'll be the first to say, I too do not use noodlers, but they have some good ink. So mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. totally like dismiss noodlers because they might have an ink that works really well for me, for you. Do your research on noodlers and make sure you're getting what you want because you might end up like Neil Gaiman who put Bay State Blue into his Pilot 823 and unbeknownst to him, it has never been the same. So do your research. So which one do you have, Mike? Do you have, you have the Sailor highlighter ink i have sailor and pelican oh you have the pelican too yeah. so what do you think about these inks i know you don't use them a i have lot. absolutely no real like opinion on them is it one right, of those things from, where i thought it would be cool to own them because i'll think of all the things i could highlight but mm-hmm. i never use it because frankly <laughs> fountain pen highlighting ink is difficult if you're using fountain pens well, and honestly, you bought them for the pens, right? The pens come in these yes. yellow demonstrators. Like, the pens yeah. are wild, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, I haven't used these inks either, but Sailor and Pelican both make... Sailor makes yellow, and Pelican makes yellow and green highlighter ink. I don't know yeah. how easy they are to come by individually. Um, you can I, actually, I don't them. have the Pelican pen. I just bought the ink. The Sailor, okay. I have a 1911 in a like fluorescent yellowy green, right? That mm-hmm. highlight color. Mm-hmm. That was why I bought it because I wanted a fluorescent highlighter colored demonstrator 1911 because it looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. But like when you use fountain pens all the time, you can't really use this because if you if you put fountain pen ink onto fountain pen ink, you will smudge the fountain pen ink. Like there's right, it doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah, and Jeffrey's looking for documents, so I'm assuming yeah. you know these are copied documents, so it's yeah. probably going to work better better for that situation. But I did find something that I didn't know existed when I was looking through this because I knew Sailor and Pelican made highlighter specific inks for fountain pens. Platinum makes highlighter ink cartridges, so if you have a platinum pen, or even if you don't have a platinum pen, you can buy a Preppy for like four bucks and pop in pilot uh, platinum's proprietary ink cartridges that come in like purple and pink and orange and green, all your traditional highlighter colors, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I've never tried one of these, so I, I'm going to have to get some of these from Pen Chalet and use them in one of my platinum pens. They will only fit they, because they come in cartridges. That fitting is proprietary to platinum, so you can't use these in other pens um, unless you want to go through the hassle of draining ink cartridges which not many people do so that's a pretty neat option i think if you own a platinum pen or want to just buy like a platinum preppy um because they the reason why they sell these is because the platinum preppy has a highlighter tip like a traditional highlighter tip pen that you use these cartridges for so which i didn't put two and two together that those highlighter pens had cartridges i thought they were just filled highlighters well, that's, that's a clever find. That's good. 
Yep. And so, Jake Bernstein asks, inspired by one of the Ask TPAs in the most recent episode, so last week's episode, what is a good set of I want to experience fountain pens, pens, stuff that's not too expensive, not too cheap and subtle, like stuff that I'm really going to understand? Yeah, so these are your basics that we talk about all the time. Like I didn't, I wasn't interested in going outside of that scope for this because then you're getting a little bit outside what the question's asking. So I kind of, you know, put in our normal answers like the Pilot Metropolitan, but I would tell Jake that this is the pen for someone who's never, not only never used a fountain pen, but has never considered a fountain pen doesn't hardly know anything about fountain pens and might enjoy the experience after using the pilot metropolitan. Like that's that kind of pen, right? It's that entry level entry level model. That is what a fountain pen should be. If you were just writing the description of a fountain pen, the Twisby eco is my personal favorite choice in this category, but it's completely, completely different level than the pilot metropolitan this is for someone who's curious right about fountain pens who enjoys writing things and has used a nice gel pen before that they hoarded for themselves right that they have a little bit of a interest in how things work and why is it good or something cool and unique that other people don't have that's where you fall in with the eco right but you then need to buy ink you do need to buy ink, <laughs> mandatory, and that's not the only one on this list that you have to buy ink mm-hmm. for. We'll get to I that mean, and that that makes it a little bit trickier of a proposition because Agreed. cartridges are way easier to deal with. Right, uh, you then have to buy a bottle of ink, and you have to be comfortable in filling it, which is a a bar mm-hmm. to cross for a lot of people. Right, but if if the question is, I want to experience fountain pens, I think that falls into the category. Because the experience experience. of filling a pen from an ink bottle is what people think a lot as as fountain pen usage. So that's why I felt fine putting that in there. The Kaveco Sport, I think, is a really cool option. It's really different from anything else on this list because it's a small, tiny pocket fountain pen that most people wouldn't consider for you know, like a first fountain pen, I would never, I probably wouldn't recommend it for a first fountain pen, but for something, if you're trying to solve a little bit of a different problem, like portability and, and pocketability and on the go type of writing, as opposed to desk writing, maybe that's an option. You know, that's, that's kind of a thought. And then the last one I put in there, I put in a classic option and that's the Pelican M205. It's far and away the most expensive. You could buy all three of the other pins for less than the 205, but it, you can still find one for less than $100. It's classically styled, very high quality, wonderful piston filler. You know, it's kind of like the... It's, you know, when the story of the fountain pen is is told in like a book or a novel. Like this is the picture you kind of get in your head just at, at a minimum, like the Pelican M205. It's just your very classic fountain pen. It's a lot more money. You know, like I said, it's closer to $100 than under 30, like the other three pens. So it's just something to consider depending on the route you want to take. If you want like that classic feel, there's lots of other options that are cheaper that give you a classic look and feel, but nothing as good as the Pelican M205, which would make me put it on the list as opposed to some of the other ones. So I think that's what I got, Mike. It was a really good question. I enjoy it. 
All right, so that wraps it up for this week's episode, I think. If you want to send in questions for a future show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskTPA, and it may be considered for a future episode. Uh, thank you to ExpressVPN and Pen Chalet for their support of this show. Um, we're going to be doing a horror stories episode in a couple of weeks, uh, but mm-hmm. we're recording it next week because we need to record it in advance because I'm going to be traveling. So if you have yep. any horror stories that you want to share, you want to win a spot in the Horror Story Hall of Fame, then you should do that. You should be sending those. <laughs> I got I got a new one last week, and like mm. in the in the preview, it said don't look at the pictures before reading everything. Okay, so I did neither. I did neither. I just filed it. It's in the stack now. I did not want to even. Re- if you're going to start with that, I don't even want to know until it's yep. time to open it up. So, do we have a record like a record of who's in the Hall of Fame? Um, it's uh, Emil. Um, from Poland, and mm-hmm. I believe it's David from Dallas. I, f- I think it's David. It's just it's just those two so far. I because like I don't know that we, sure we uh, that now down. I'll, I'll double check because for the one that maybe most famous, at least for us, uh, behind the scenes, um, was not a Hall of Fame winner. The one with the the famous pen case on top of the car that went flying. I, mm-hmm. I think for some reason we did not vote that in. And I think that was your fault. Uh, I think it was, uh, it, nothing was damaged. <laughs> no, it was gone. They're gone. Hmm. We'll follow this up offline, but we'll yeah, we'll go up. back and double check. But I think we only have two. I think it's a mill and David, but I can look forward to that. I love reading the horror stories. Yeah. It should um, be good. You can find Brad online at penaddict.com, uh, knock.co twitch.tv slash penaddict uh, penaddict on Instagram dowdyism on Twitter you've already got a lot, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of places I'm a busy man um, and I'm I'm Mike, I am YKE <laughs> this show's part of Relay FM, you can find <laughs> this show and many more at relay.fm slash shows, uh, we've got a lot of great stuff there for you, uh, we'll be back next time, until then, say goodbye Brad goodbye Brad <laughs> <laughs>